Houston Rallies is a movement created by the Lee Group, a Houston-based advertising agency, to help make a difference for the many other small businesses that are the heartbeat of our city. The Lee Group fully understands the struggles and trials involved with running a small business in one of the most competitive markets in the world. The Houston Rallies podcast, created in partnership with Radio Lounge, is a hub of information and inspiring stories directly from the small business owners that make Houston the great city that we all call home. From interviews with movers and shakers to thought pieces on best practices for advertising your business's specific services, Houston Rallies is your destination for advertising insight and inspirational ideas. Hi, I'm Grant Pinkerton from Pinkerton's Barbecue, and you're listening to Houston Rallies. Hey, this is Mark Pereira with the Lee Group Advertising. Thanks for joining us on the Houston Rallies podcast today. For those of you who've been listening to our first few episodes, thanks so much for listening and for subscribing and reviewing the podcast. It really helps us grow and is, is a huge help in us being able to shine the spotlight on these, these businesses in Houston. Um, so we really appreciate that. Please spread the word, tell your friends about the podcast, um, subscribe, rate, review, all of those good things. Um, You'll notice that with today's interview, we're going to try to change some things up. We've been doing a lot of research on podcasts and interview techniques and, and all of that. And so we're going to try some things. Some may work, some may not. Um, but um, hopefully um, it will keep things exciting and keep everyone on their toes. Um, so feel free to send us any thoughts or any questions you might have. Um, you can email us at houstonrallies at tlgadvertising.com. Um, or you can send us a message on Instagram at houstonrallies. Today on the podcast, we're very excited. Um, we've got Grant Pinkerton from Pinkerton's Barbecue with us. Grant, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. We're we're super excited to have you. Um, we've been fans of yours for a long time. Uh, it started with with your food, and then we've been fans of just your business and what you've been doing for the past few years. Um, and so we're we're excited to talk to you today. We know you've been on a couple of other podcasts and that you've done some other interviews and stuff. Obviously, you're very celebrated, um, and rightfully so. And so we kind of, while we want to talk a lot about barbecue and 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 what goes into that, we also want to talk about what really went into you starting your business and how you grew it from where you started living at your parents' house to where you are now. So if you'll just kind of talk us through that process, how you kind of got the itch to, to make barbecue and, and living with your parents and then going from pop-ups and all that, talk, talk us through that process. Sure. Well, um, you know... I was uh, your typical uh, uh, Texas kid, played a lot of sports uh, growing up and uh, got pretty interested in uh, cooking at a young age. And uh, that kind of bled over to uh, wanting to grill and that kind of stuff. And that, I was about nine when that happened. Um, by the time I was about 13, I uh, really wanted a barbecue pit. So I uh, asked my dad to uh, get me a barbecue pit. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, okay. So he, he went out as a gift and got me a little Weber Smoky Mountain. And um, kind of that kicked off my, my intrigue with barbecue because, you know, when you're out there grilling a steak, it only takes, what, 10, 12 minutes, something like that. <laughs> well, I wanted to sit there and play with fire for uh, 8, 10, 12 hours. That really seemed uh, cool as a 13-year-old kid to sit there and burn sticks and wood for 13 hours at a time. and uh, smoke out all the neighbors. So that kind of uh, started my venture into barbecue. And uh, in high school, I went to Lamar High School here in town and played football and was a member of the FFA program, which is Future Farmers of America. Uh, was a, in the ag took agriculture classes. 
I learned how to weld and started building barbecue pits and raising animals and learning about meat science and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's mostly just kind of a interest and a hobby. Um, I graduated from uh, Lamar and went to the University of Texas at Austin in 2007. And the interesting part about that was when I went to Austin in, in 2007, there there wasn't, there'd been no barbecue renaissance yet. So we had a lot of um, kind of the older school Austin barbecue joints, which were okay, but you know, nothing, nothing to write home about. I remember somebody taking me to a Rudy's, you know, trying to, you know, show me how great Austin barbecue was. And then, uh, you know, enter scene, uh, 2009, Aaron Franklin, kaboom, Austin barbecue starts blowing up. Um, and you know, I was, uh, uh, a student, love to cook on the weekends, tailgates, uh, go out and spend a lot of time at people's ranches in the hill country, barbecue, and just, you know, it's always just kind of in the back of my mind, just kind of a hobby. And, um, you know, I, I, I graduated in 2013 and moved back to Houston and kind of saw that that same explosion hadn't happened here and that craft barbecue movement uh, wasn't taking place at the same rate it was in Austin. I said, "Wait, we live in the biggest city in Texas. I'm kind of shocked that we haven't had, you know, this kind of explosion of craft barbecue restaurants. I think there's a niche. Um, obviously, being a young graduate, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I was a rhetoric and writing major at uh, University of Texas. I really actually wanted to get into uh, freelance journalism in the uh, kind of hunting and fishing field, that was another passion of mine and uh, kind of operating in that industry. And so I started doing some barbecue on the side while I worked at a, uh, at the front desk at a, at a local gym. And uh, kind of before I knew it, I was making more money selling bootleg barbecue out of my parents' backyard than I was at work. And my boss uh, sat me down and said, hey, you know, you, this food is fantastic. Um, you have a real passion for this. You're 23, 24. You have no girlfriend. You have no bills. You know, you have no debt. This is the time to do this. And yeah. uh, you, can, you can use my parking lot and my customers. And um, I'm here to help you with anything you need. And so I got on Craigslist and bought a 20-year-old trailer. And uh, that next weekend, I had my first pop-up. Oh, wow. Pinkerton's Barbecue was born. So it was kind of organically started. It was really when people ask me, how did I get into the barbecue business? I tell them completely by accident, which is yeah. how I know it was meant to be. Yeah. A lot of times you find that if you, if you try to plan something out like that, you might be paralyzed by all the steps that it would take to start a business get a trade, like do all the things. And so if you just kind of just by happenstance follow this path and then it, you kind of piece it together from hindsight, then it, you you find that you are more successful that way. Because a lot of times it's really easy to say this is too difficult to do from this side of it. And if you had to know all the steps that you had to go on. So um, that's really cool. So then you, you did pop-ups and you did catering for a couple of years and then you opened your brick and mortar in 2017, right? 16. 2016. Yeah, December of 2016. So I had the trailer. I was doing pop-ups, uh, catering, uh, that kind of stuff. You know, it wasn't. We weren't doing every day. I really like to do pop-ups about once a month. That way, you get 
you know, the big social media push from that and all the people come and it's more of a festive and fun kind of limited uh, scarcity to it. And uh, people felt like they were getting something special. So that was, you know, I'd, you know, try to make my money doing catering periodically throughout the month. But my my public uh, sales and that kind of stuff was about once a month. And um, I started getting picking up steam on social media. And I really relied on that uh, to kind of be the foundation and base of my business. And uh, being from Houston and uh, from uh, the inner loop area, I had a lot of uh, friends and, you know, through, you know, Little League and Cub Scouts and going to different schools around here, you end up meeting, you know, it's, it's a small, Houston is a small town in a big city, you know. Absolutely. Um, so I, I had a great amount of support from the community already and uh, I was just kind of um, grew and we, I was down doing a catering job for a guy and uh, he said, well, have you ever considered opening a restaurant? This food is fantastic. I love it. And uh, I said, well, you know, and the time is right, I'll, I'll, I'll open a place. And uh, the guy said, well, you know, I'll, I won't say the number, but he said, I'll write you a real big check tonight if you want to do it. And I said, okay, well, don't write it tonight. Give me two weeks. Let me go talk to some other people that have expressed interest. And then I'll call you back. And I went home and I talked about it with, you know, other people who had mentioned it in passing, you know, hey, do you, you want to? Sure you ever want to open a restaurant, make sure to give me a call. I, you know, I all thought they were kind of, you know, full of BS and sure enough, I call them and they're like, yeah, dude, I'm in, you know, um, that's awesome. Every single person I called, was like, I've just been waiting for you to call me. So, yeah. uh, I said, all right, well, let's do a restaurant. What's the worst that happens? It fails. And I end up at a desk job sitting in a cubicle like everybody else, you know, I'm 25 at the time. Let's do it. And, yeah. uh, that's kind of been the, the motto for me going forward is, you know, if failure is the worst thing that happens, then it's really not that bad because you can always bounce back. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I think, I think the story of your, I think your story is, is full of this, this sort of, um, I don't know, attitude or mantra of just let's see what can happen. And we'll talk about this in a second when we talk about what you did during Harvey, but you know, I, you said, um, you know, let's see if we can cook some barbecue during a hurricane and just this, let's, let's try it and see what happens and what's the worst that can happen. And, and I, I think that, I think that attitude and that kind of mindset is, is, is what has helped you become so successful. Obviously you have a great product. And so that's a huge part of it. But I think too, this, this just willing to take the risk is, is a huge part of that. And something that's really important for people to know, you have to be willing to take that risk in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you opened in 2016 and you had quite the, quite the year after that, I would say from, from, from December 16 to December 17, you had a, you had a great first year, um, in May, you were in Texas monthly's top 50 restaurants in Texas. Um, and then you were in Forbes 30 under 30, you were the first time for a pit master to be in there, um, to be, to be on that list. Um, and then hurricane Harvey hit. So Lots of highs, lots of lows. Talk about your first year, um, and and I also I also would like to know. So you said you got started on social media. Did you run any any sort of? Did you have any paid social media? Was it all organic, word of mouth? Was it just hey, this is what we're doing in a couple of days? How did you how did you utilize social media to grow your business? Well, uh, it was I was very fortunate that I was a rhetoric and writing major. Uh, yeah. And for people who don't know what really rhetoric is, because sometimes I tell people and they're like, what? It is uh, kind of the art of uh, persuasion. So uh, for us, what a what a normal 
uh, class looked like. I always tell people, you know, people in uh, college always talk about writing papers. I'm like, oh, I had to write a 20-page paper. In rhetoric, it was like, yeah, you need to write a three-page paper on something that should take you a 10, take most people a 10-page paper to explain. Right. So my philosophy has always been, you know, we live in a world derived of 140 characters. We need to be as persuasive as we can in 140 characters, which is what Twitter used to give you. Um, right. People's attention spans are short. And rhetoric and the study of that can be applied to video, photographs, and text and in and, and spoken language. So um, I kind of took what I had learned and applied it to running a social media account and trying to get as effective um, branding and marketing and messaging across the customers and potential customers as, as possible. And I, you know, I think one example of that is, you know, I was had this little trailer parked in the back of my parents' house and I was cooking barbecue and I'm like checking my Instagram and I'm getting followed by, you know, Cook's Country and, you know, all these high-end <laughs> food and cooking magazines. And I'm like, man, if they only knew, I was like a 25-year-old guy in a cut-off <laughs> shirt here in my parents' backyard cooking brisket, they probably wouldn't be following me. But it, it's the message you in the image you portray to the, the public. And, and um, you know, so that, that first year, it was all organic, which also helped because those are real people, you know, um, your reach is a lot stronger and they're people who care about your brand. And when I opened in 2016, my mission was to try to touch every table, try to shake as many hands. And, uh, you know, when people say, oh, I'm going to leave you a five star review, I said, hey, you don't even need to get online, leave a five star review. But if you tell one friend that you had a great experience here and bring them in. That's all I ask. Yeah. So let's grow an organic customer base that loves this place uh, to grow our business. And then the other thing about personal, uh, you know, uh, recs on going places is that nobody goes and tells their friend that they think is going to hate something to go to this restaurant. Right. Right. Like, right. I'm not going to tell you to go to a place that I think you're really not going to like. So you're only going to ruin your credibility people that really are kind of preconditioned to like what you're doing. To the restaurant um and so i felt like a really strong foundation was very important in creating uh a structurally sound and sustainable business it wasn't a flash in the pan because sometimes what you can see and especially in this business is someplace gets a lot of fanfare um from food writers and bloggers and that kind of stuff and then it's you know flash in the pan and that same kind of group of customers that follows those blogs and the in the in the uh, food writers and that kind of stuff, you know, they're just looking for the next thing. So kind of once, once there's the next, uh, concept that everybody's raving about, they kind of move on, but what is it, where does that leave you with your, your true foundation of customers? And there's not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think it's awesome and it, and it sheds light on everybody, but it's really important to get that really great, uh, base. And so, because, you know, in doing that, it was really nice to see that Texas Monthly pop up, the Forbes, um, and then obviously uh, when uh, when Hurricane Har and uh, Hurricane ha Harvey happened, you know, we felt like we were an extension of the community, and you know, kind of going back to that um, spirit that you said, you know, I put a sign up that says "Come hell or hot water, we'll have AC, liquor, and barbecue," and um, 
I meant it. You know, it's, I, I I was living upstairs at the restaurant and, you know, I just figured that when something like that happens, people still need to eat. They need some semblance of normal. And then kind of the Wild West entrepreneurial uh, kind of cowboy spirit in myself was thinking, hey, you know, there's a hurricane coming. Let's try to cook barbecue in it. I mean, you know, yeah, that's yeah. a story I can tell my grandkids. And, you know, yeah. now we can tell them, yeah, I was splitting wood in the backyard in knee-deep water to keep the pits rolling with tornado sirens going off. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, call it stupid or wild. I call it the Texas spirit. Um, you know, it's it, it, it was it's just something that you're just kind of called and compelled. we were compelled to do. So um, that that happened. And, you know, I was really glad we did because we were able to um, help, you know, quite a few people and uh, keep stuff going. And another cool thing was we had restaurateurs uh, that couldn't get to their restaurants. Right. Um, saying, hey, if you can take my food, cook it, and give it away, go for it. And so we were like almost like a makeshift commissary for getting food to the police and the uh, National Guard and all that kind of stuff. I think what you've shown throughout the, the years that you've had your restaurant is a, a, you are very invested in your community. And I think in times like these, when we're, you know, there's lots of hot, you know hot button issues, and and we're talking about issues with police and things like that. You've you've shown, you know, at, at everyone's base need, we're all human, and humans need to eat, right? And so you you know you you said you put up a sign, hell or high water, we've got AC, liquor, and and, and food. You also put up a sign that said, I live upstairs. Here's my phone number. Call me, and I'll make you a hot meal during Hurricane Harvey. Did right. people actually take you up on that? Oh, yeah. We had uh, police and uh, first responders stopping by at two o'clock in the morning, you know, when their shift has changed, just need to go to the bathroom, coffee. Um, I'd warm them up some cobbler and make them tacos and stuff. And uh, they'd call me up and I'd open the top window and lean my head out and uh, talk to them and then run downstairs and let them in. Um, you know, I mean, while everybody else was stuck in their houses, at least I was, I, you know, for me, I was just happy to be having social interactions with people sure, and sure. hearing firsthand what the hell's going on out there, you know? Right. Um, it was, you know, it's just, uh, it, it was, it, you, you, you don't do it for like the press or anything like that. It's just, like I said, it's kind of that Wild West Texas spirit, you know? Um, it, you just, you just do it because you're compelled to do it. Um, you know, one of the things like you were talking about community and uh, with all the hot button stuff going on now, I've said this since we opened. And if you come to Pinkerton's, you'll notice that everything is family style seating, go through the line, um, do that. One of the things that I have always uh, said is that barbecue brings people together. No matter where you're from, um, what your background is, uh, how old or young you are. There's something about barbecue that as Texans, we all have um, a kind of a, a unified kinship or that memory of eating, you know, grandma's brisket or, you know, grandpa's ribs or whatever. It takes us all back to a special place in our, in our lives and we can all share that. And um, so what I wanted to do when I opened Pinkerton's and it's going to be the same way in San Antonio is it's family style seating. It's communal seating. You sit down and every time you sit down, 
you make new friends. We, you know, yeah. it is about bringing people together. It is about sharing experiences. It's not about coming into the restaurant and minding your own business and sitting there and eating your food and getting out. It is about being part of the community. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned that's, that's something about being Texan is, is getting together and, and having barbecue. And there's, there's something really Texan about that. And it's not, it's, 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 I think it's more than that. My, my family is Portuguese. My parents are not from Texas. They're not from the United States. And yet still, there are a lot of things that growing up, I didn't do that a typical, I grew up in Houston. I didn't do that a typical, um, you know, Houstonian or, or, or tex, Texan would do, um, but barbecue was one thing that we would do and we would, we would go get barbecue and we would all come together when we right now, while we're all self quarantining and, and my dad is high risk and I have a newborn. And so we're really taking that seriously. The first time we went out to eat as a family, we went to go get barbecue because for that exact reason, it's a, it's something about, you know, ripping off a piece of meat that someone else is ripping off of and, and and being all together and it's not you know, it's not plates and it's not forks and that and it's just you're just there and you're having fun and you're laughing and you're eating and it's there's, there's something about that community that is is so important at any time but i think so even more so during times like these um, so i think that's that's really great you mentioned your san antonio location talk a little bit about that talk about why you chose san antonio um, obviously, I think it was very strategic to not go into Austin, and so t- talk about that as well. Why you didn't want to go into Austin, and and um, you know why you d- when you're opening, and and, and talk about that location. Um, so uh, San Antonio for me was uh, one of the places that I looked at that had. Um, I have a, some very good friends down there with an awesome barbecue joint, but per capita, they don't have as many great spots as some other big Texas cities. Um, One of the reasons that Austin is so successful in their barbecue is that they have a ton of tourism. Uh, If you go stand in the line at Franklin's, like 80% of the people that are in that line are not from Austin, maybe more than that. Um, That's how they can support having all those great places. So I was kind of, you know, here in Houston, we don't, we have a lot of business travel, but there's not a whole lot of people coming from, or just, uh, you know, a, vacation to Houston, Texas. Um, although they should, because, and when people ask me, well, what would you do on a vacation to Houston? I said, eat. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you just, there's, I could give you a five day itinerary. The same thing you do when you go to new Orleans, what do you do? You just eat. Um, but San Antonio is the second biggest convention city in America. And, uh, tons of tourism, all that kind of stuff. And an opportunity presented itself to build a restaurant from the ground up, a block off the river walk in a one and a half acre park space. And it just seemed like a great opportunity and a cool place to be able to share really great Texas barbecue with people who are visiting our state. And kind of at the end of the day, that's part of what I want to do. And my mission statement is, um, show people great barbecue. And if we can make a great impression on, like, I don't want anybody going back to uh, Virginia and saying, well, I went to Texas and the barbecue is a bit overrated if you ask me. I want them going back and being like, Texas has the best barbecue I've ever had. I've been to Carolinas, I've been here, I've been there. Texas hasn't beat. So, you know, that's part of that Texas pride, you know? And uh, so I had the opportunity to do that and, build this restaurant from the ground up, which was also cool because I could take everything that I learned at Pinkerton's 
Houston and say, oh, I wish I had this here. Man, if we really had this, it would be nice. So it's bigger than the one in, in Houston. Um, bigger bar, uh, bigger porch spaces, bigger pit room, um, kind of meant to be able to handle more of those you know, convention crowds and that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you walk into that one in San Antonio, it is going to feel like you're walking into a Pinkerton's. So that was very important to carry over that um, for us. Uh, I, my family's from the Hill Country, so getting closer out there was always uh, a perk for me, too. So any way I can get closer to my roots uh, just makes me feel better. And do you know, has has all, has any of these shutdowns, has that postponed when you're opening? Do you know when you're opening? Oh, well, I'm, I'm fairly confident we'll open this fall. Um, the shutdowns have had no impact on the construction or anything like that. Actually, I think it's made it go quicker because there's not a lot of new projects going on. So they've been able to for focus kind of all their guys on getting this done. And it's been kind of fast and furious. Um, so we're making progress. And, you know, hopefully we can kind of get this thing licked and be able to open it up in the fall and kind of show everybody what we've been working on and we're just really excited with how it's turning out and, and what it's going to be like. That's really awesome. Do you have aspirations of opening more locations after this one? Or are you just like, man, I just got to open this one and see what happens. There's a little bit of that. Um, yeah. about, you know, Hey, let's see how San Antonio goes before. But I, I think uh, myself and my team have gotten together a really great playbook for, how to do some of this stuff. And of course, you know, we're going to have to adjust on the fly. There's going to be things that we didn't anticipate and this, that, and the other. But I feel like we've proven over the last three or four years that kind of whatever people throw at us, we we can either foul it off or put in put the ball in play. We're not striking out. So um, we're going to take that attitude to San Antonio. And um, if things go well there, you know, that kind of the world is our oyster. So, you know, I, I ne I'll never say no. And when uh, – great situation presents itself. I wouldn't be surprised if I was a betting man, I'd bet on me to take it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you've shown that in the past. So why not in the future? Um, so you, so obviously you had a gangbusters first year. Talk a little bit about how did, did your strategy from a business standpoint, obviously that helped, right? Being in Texas monthly, being in Forbes, that helped increase your, your visibility and people knowing about you, but did you change anything you were doing from a, from an advertising perspective? Uh, did you change your social media strategy? Did you change how you were talking about yourself or, or did you keep everything the same? No, I think authenticity is really important. And uh, I think a lot of times people can see right through that. And I'll get that question all the time is, oh, who runs your social media? And it's like me still. And you know, and kind of f funny note was when I first started dating my now fiance, very, very soon to be wife. Um, I'm, I'm on my phone all the time, you know, I mean, between talking to guys at the restaurant and running social media, uh, I, I'm like, my screen time usage is disgusting. Uh, so we, uh, you know, she'd, she'd tell me, you know, um, right when we opened the restaurant, she's like, you are on your phone all the time. Can you please just put it down for a I'm like, I'm working, I'm working, you know, she's like, you're just on Twitter or you're just on ESPN, uh, on, uh, on, on uh, Instagram. And so one night we were sitting uh, upstairs at the restaurant and I said, oh, the Dan Patrick show is coming to film Pinkerton's Barbecue. And she's like, what? 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 Where did that come from? I'm like, well, I just shot, you know, Polly a DM 
And because he tweeted something about the Super Bowl and coming to Houston, and I tweeted him a picture of our brisket, and that was it. He just said they're going to come film the Dan Patrick show from the Super Bowl for Pinkertons. And she was like, it finally got it and was like, right. I am never going to tell you to get off your phone again. And I was like, I, I, I told you, I swear I'm working on, I'm working here. So I feel like my voice coming through, through social media and being that person to interact with people is so important. And it's such a advantage that we have in 2017, 18, 19 and 20 over 20 years ago when it was so hard to get authentic voice from the owner to the customer. Right. Um, you can really show who you are and who you are as a company and where you stand and where you're coming from. Um, if you're the one that does that. And, uh, so I might not be, um, sitting there touching every brisket, but I am talking to every single person. If you interact with Ennis on any social media platform or you email us, you're, you're talking directly to me. And I think that's so important. And I think as we grow, that's something that I want to continue, um, for our, for our business. Yeah. I hope that you are able, I, I don't mean this. Um, like I don't believe that you can, I hope you're able to keep that because obviously a goal is to grow and, and, but with growing that happens exponentially. Right. And so ha- at some point it, it's going to become an issue of how do I respond to every single person? How can I have time to, and you're about to have a wife and then, you know, hopefully kids and then, you know, all these things. And so your, your time gets more and more fragmented. And so it becomes, more and more important to be that authentic voice. And so I, I, I do, I genuinely hope you're able to figure out how to do that as you scale up, because I think that's so important to have. Yeah. There's a guy, I don't, I don't mean, I'm a, I'm a big tech long Texas Longhorn football fan and our current athletic director, Chris Del Connie, he is a perfect example of a guy who is able to reach out. And I mean, you're the athletic director of the university of Texas. You have tens and tens of thousands of people talking following you every move is uh, is under a, a microscope and he still if you shoot him a message on Twitter he responds himself I mean it's it's a great example and people love it just the accessibility maybe you're not touching every single one that comes at you because there's some stuff uh, that you know it you know don't need to answer this that and the other but just the fact that you know when you send it, that he has seen it. It's not some screener or anything like that. And when you get a response, it is authentic. It's a great example of using social media so effectively to kind of uh, win and ho- win the hearts and minds of, of people following you or your product. That's right. Yeah. So is you ha- obviously opening a business in Houston where you're from? That that's one thing, right? There's a story there. One of Houston's, you know. A Houstonian is opening a restaurant. Let's let's kind of rally around that restaurant and all of that. Going to another city, how are you? What's your what's your strategy there? How are you going to announce yourself? How are you going to? Obviously, authenticity is key. But are you going to change any things because you're not? I know you're from the Hill Country, but you're not specifically from San Antonio. What talk a little bit about that? Um, well, I think the first most important thing is that, you know, I'm not going to go in there and trying to tell everybody I am a San Antonian, you know, or whatever, you know, I am who I am. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to make sure that my presence is felt at the restaurant. I'm, I'm going to be in there shaking hands, getting to know the community, working with on outreach stuff there, becoming a, 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 you know, a member of valued member of their community. Um, 
you know, we want to get involved with the things like little leagues and uh, FFA chapters and, you know, reach out and try to make a, an impact on the community that, you know, the Riverwalk and at area is full of businesses that are national chains and that kind of stuff. And we want to make sure that when uh, people come to Pinkerton's, whether it's Houston or San Antonio or any other place in the future, that that is a place that actually cares about more than just feeding people. It's about supporting the community. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, COVID-19 and the shutdowns. I know we, we talked about Harvey and we talked about how you really focused on giving back to the community. And I think you were uniquely poised to be ready for that. Um, your, you know, your pits don't run on electricity. You, you know, you, you were, you were ready to go. Um, so talk about how the coronavirus shutdowns, how that impacted you, um, both from a business standpoint and from a philanthropic standpoint and what you did during that time. Mm, yep. So, uh, interestingly enough, the way we serve barbecue is probably the least well suited to pivoting to, uh, COVID. And, uh, you know, we have people come in and you order through the line and, if you call a restaurant during business hours, we're probably not going to answer because the cashier is sitting there, you know, listening to guys calling out meat weights and putting it into the register and getting people processed through. And we got 30 people waiting in line and uh, we really don't have time to pick up the phone. So we're very old school in that regard. Um, so when this kind of hit, you know, one, we couldn't have anybody coming in the building Two, barbecue is one of these things where. I load the pit up 24 hours in advance of the next day, get making a guess. Like I said, I'm the world, you know, try being the world's best gambler because every day I'm like, mm, you know, arbitrary number of brisket, arbitrary number of ribs, arbitrary number of chicken. I think this is what we're going to sell tomorrow. And then, you know, you try to cut it as close as possible. So that was scary. I mean, why do we really want to bring in $25,000 worth of product and having it sit in our cooler when we could potentially be completely shut down? You know, it's about sustainability. And we wanted to, one, make sure that Pinkerton's Barbecue was safe, sound, uh, funded, and able to come out the other end of this unscathed. So we took a week off. I thought about a lot of stuff. Uh, figured out how we can adapt our game plan and strategy to kind of buy time to see how things were playing out and to uh, also be able to feed the community because I get it. People don't want to eat most, sorry, most people don't want to eat brisket five times a week. So let's adapt our menu during this period of time so that we're giving people who want to support us something different to eat where they could come three times a week and not have to eat the same thing. So in that week, we developed a whole new menu, uh, did all of our costing on it, and designed it with the intent that we weren't going to have to have a lot of product sitting in-house. So if there was a shutdown, total shutdown, it wasn't like our war chest took a giant hit that we might not be able to recover from. So we opened the next week. We were I'd come up with this contactless curbside service um, where we never had to see you. You never had to see us. You come, grab your bag, all your stuff's in there, grab it, go. We had clean pens and dirty pen receptacles. We bought thousands of pens so nobody had to use uh, one that somebody else had used. Hand sanitizer out there. Just try to keep it as safe and sustainable as possible for both the community and for the people working in Pinkerton's. We all made a pact with ourselves like, look, we're going to come to work. 
and we're going to go home and nobody, we're not going out anywhere. We're all, look, uh, it's not just about me. It's about all of us. The longer, you know, the safer we can all be for ourselves, the more safe everybody here is going to be. So let's all do our part and be safe, quarantine at home and only come to work and, you know, really keep um, ourselves protected from this. And so we did that for about four weeks, maybe. Um, and uh, then we we launched our online ordering. I think it was like week two or three, we launched our online ordering and that really helped um, be able to bring back those classic uh, barbecue items because now I had people ordering in advance and I could be like, okay, well we have about this many pounds of brisket we need to cook for tomorrow. We'll cook a little bit extra so that we have some for walk-up business or orders out that day, but I at least know this is sold, which kind of went back to my days in my trailer because that was my old business trick when I was in my trailer was that I would take pre-orders for all of my sales for a pop-up and then I'd have everybody prepay and then I would take the money that they prepaid with and buy extra meat. So if I'm charging $20 a pound for brisket and I'm buying it for $5 a pound, I can buy four times as much brisket, you know? And so I'd use them there. They were just fronting me money essentially for all the walk-up. Uh, but I at least knew that if it rained and thunderstormed and washed out the whole event, the worst I could do was a goose egg, not a negative. Um, so we took, I took that same principle and applied it uh, to the COVID thing. So we were making sure we weren't losing money any day. And um, we kind of took off there. And then the barbecue just kept growing. And then we wanted to introduce a new menu item uh, or items uh, kind of each week or every other week kind of get people excited to come back to the restaurant again. So if there was something people were requesting a lot of, you know, we'd kind of hold out, wait a week, and then put it on the menu and try to catch another resurge of business and build our business back up and get back into um, people's normal routine of coming to Pinkerton's Barbecue. Yeah. So are you moving forward? Are you going to, is online ordering always going to be part of your business model? Uh, it will be in San Antonio. The way Houston is set up, it's such a small space. Like I try to tell people our kitchen is about uh, the size of two or three parking spots. So there's no extra room to do anything um, or, or package anything or keep a lot of that stuff. And like I, I try to explain people why we don't take phone in orders is because if we have a line of 30 people and they've all been patiently waiting, and somebody drives up and sees that line of 30 people, it's not fair to those people who are waiting if that guy picks up the phone, calls in an order, and then we go take his ticket and make all those people who are waiting wait while we cut his food and then give it to him to go. You know, it just it doesn't work. Um, we will have some sort of uh, future ordering online probably in Houston, and we're working on what that looks like and how that is, but it will be more of a bulk purchase. So it's not like... I want a sandwich tomorrow at 1.30. You know, it's going to be like, here, we're going to do pickups between this hour and this hour, and you can place your order in advance, and we'll have it waiting for you and ready in a bag, or this hour and this hour in the afternoon, and have it waiting for you in a bag. Um, but in San Antonio, there probably will be, uh, especially since it's like downtown like that, around a lot of office buildings and hotels, uh, we will have it so that some guy sitting in his office at 3 o'clock in the afternoon place an order at five to for five thirty. walk out of his office, grab the bag and, and get in his car and go home and take it to his family. Um, okay. So we put out a, a, a 
requests on social media. I know you did as well for, for questions from people. So I'm going to ask you a couple of those questions that they sent in. Sure. Um, Michael asked, what do you love about barbecue? Um, well, the community of it. I think that's really neat. And um, I always tell people I am so thankful that I love cooking barbecue more than I love eating barbecue. <laughs> that's not to say that I don't like to eat barbecue. But if you're going to go in this business, it's much better to have it that way than you like eating barbecue more than cooking it. Um, yeah. I love the act of sitting down and burning sticks and uh, playing with flavors and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm a cook at heart. So uh, for me, uh, that that is a huge part of it. And one of the reasons I still compete and like to do competition barbecue is it just allows me kind of a outlet for uh, creativity. Uh, Melanie asked, have you considered going into grocery stores? So, you know, a lot of, one of the big things that came out from this, um, the coronavirus shutdown, you've got Chris Shepard, who's putting some of his meals into, um, HEB and you've got, you know, other restaurants who are doing that. Have you, did you ever consider that? Would you ever consider doing something like that? Um, you know, I think, uh, barbecue for me, it's kind of like one of the reasons I don't really a huge fan of delivery services is, you know, we don't just sell barbecue, we sell an experience. And, you know, maybe it's kind of like, I, I, I'm not huge on going into stadiums either, because um, for one, I want when people to get Pinkertons, I want it to be the best version of Pinkertons. And two, I don't want somebody to get it on a secondhand source and just say, well, you know, I had it once and it was okay. It's like, well, yeah, well, it's been sitting on the grocery store cooler for three days and you know i mean it's not as good at representation um probably if somebody called me from heb we probably could have worked out some stuff that we could <laughs> sell there i'm not gonna lie i'm you know always happy to do that but the, having the pinkertons experience is something that is super important to me and uh, i also think goes a long way into building customer loyalty you know we had a lot of people who never ate uh even got us to go that were our weekly regulars uh, during COVID, the second we opened the dining room back up, they were there. And they're like, I just wanted to be in here and with the people and feel the energy. And, you know, I love the food, but I want the, I wanted the full experience. I said, I 100% get that. You know, it's like when you go to a Mexican restaurant, it's, you know, the, the sizzling fajita platter is part of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think, I think more so than other restaurants, barbecue is so maybe unfairly or fairly judged on it's how is my experience and 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 that's that's so baked into the food itself i Absolutely. think more so than other places and so and so it's like i totally get wanting to control that because if you have someone who has that at a stadium or at a grocery store and it's just okay whereas i feel like you know if i'm getting chicken parmesan and it i'm like well it was just okay it was just at in a in a grocery store, I'll go to the restaurant and try it again. Exactly. I don't think that will happen with barbecue. Yeah, it's weird. It's just weird how that yeah. works. It's like, and I'm, I'm tell you the truth, I'm guilty of that myself. I, yeah, you know, I've tried a barbecue somewhere. I'm like, you know, I tried it. It was okay. They're like, oh, have you ever been to the spots? Like, no. <laughs> you know, I just it kind of almost takes that desire away to go to the actual spot because yeah, you already had it. weren't that impressed, and you can tell everybody yeah, you've had it. You know, right, right, yeah. Um, Blythe asked, what is your take on regional barbecue, Kansas city, Carolinas, Texas? What do you like best? Uh, you know, I've told, I've, I've said this answer to several people in person. I think, and of course I'm trying not to be biased here, but I really do think that Texas barbecue is king. And I'm th and this is my explanation 
because you know Kansas City is great in its own regard. They cut their brisket on a deli slicer. That's okay. That they do them. That's fine. But for me, the thing that sets the Texas Pitmaster apart from the other regions is that they have to be so good at cooking so many different types of protein. So we have to be able to cook brisket really well. We have to be able to cook ribs really well. We have to be able to cook chicken really well. We have to be able to cook pork butt really well. We have to be able to make sausage really well. In other regions, it's very specific and localized on kind of one um, meat or protein. You know, when you're in the deep south, it's the chopped pork. But nobody talks about their sausage, and they'll add. They'll admit that their brisket is terrible. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I think the Texas pitmaster is the most talented because he has to be so good in so many different areas. Um, I do like sauce with barbecue, so Kansas City is great. And I also am a huge pork fan. And if you come to Pinkerton's, you'll kind of notice that we probably put more effort into our pork products than a lot of other places in Texas. I mean, I think pork, a great pork rib is something really special. And I think, you know, a good uh, Southern style chopped pork sandwich is something really good too. Um, so they all have their merits, but I will say, I think the Texas Pitmaster is the most talented of them. Um, okay, before we wrap up, there's just something new that we've been trying, and I didn't send this to you because I wanted you to, I didn't want you to have a ton of time to to think about your answers for this, these questions, but I have just some rapid fire round of Houston-based questions. Just, okay. I'm going to ask a question, and I just want to know your immediate thought, and then we'll move on to the next one. Okay. Um, so, uh, besides your restaurant, what's your favorite restaurant in Houston? Uh, I really like... Um... I will give you three, okay? Okay. Because I kind of like do it off of cuisine. So if I'm going to get some quesadillas or fajitas, I'm going to El Tiempo in Richmond. There's no other. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be the El Tiempo in Richmond. Right. If I'm going to get pizza. I love pizza. It's one of my favorite foods. I'm going to probably go to Vinny's on the east okay. side. Um, and... If I'm going to go eat seafood, I'm going to Good Company Seafood on West Park. Nice. Nice. So, out of out of the out of those 3, I agree with the seafood and the and the uh, El Tiempo. I haven't been to Vinny's yet. So. You haven't been to Vinny's? Okay, so I have not. Just preface you here. My mother is from Massachusetts. And okay. in Massachusetts, they have a type of sausage called a linguisa sausage. And that sausage is used on uh, pizzas there instead of pepperonis. The Revival Market makes the pepperoni for um, for uh, Vinny's because it's owned by Agricole. And that pepperoni is the closest I've ever gotten to anywhere outside of Massachusetts producing something that tastes like linguisa. It's very similar to pepperoni, but it is phenomenal. And then the other thing that I love about it is that you can... They're huge pizzas. You put it in the fridge the next day. You know, like with kind of some pizzas, when you reheat pizza, the bread gets like really tough and like you can almost yeah. put your teeth out with it. Yeah. Somehow it doesn't do that. So it reheats okay. beautifully as well. I don't know. It's really well done. They, I, I I really like the pizza over there. So Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Uh, what is your favorite live music venue in Houston? Uh, I'm going to go with... Since they tore down Fitzgerald's, I'm going to go with White Oak Music Hall. Okay. But you would have said Fitzgerald's. Yeah. Yeah. 
Classic. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, what's your favorite? I know you mentioned if you were going to take vacation in Houston, you would eat. What's your favorite touristy thing to do in Houston? You know, like if we lived in New York, it would be going to see the Statue of Liberty or going to going to um, Rockefeller. What's what's your favorite touristy thing in Houston? Barbecue tour. No, um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I already said eating. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a huge sports fan. Yeah. One thing that I do in other cities is I love to go to sports games and, you know, get the real fan experience of, you know, what is it like to be at Fenway Park? What is it like to be at Miller Park in Milwaukee or, uh, or uh, Lambeau Field and that kind of stuff? So I would recommend somebody go to an Astros game or something like that and, you know, go to a bar outside of there and, you know, get the real vibe of Houston, talk to real Houstonians um, and, and get in there and watch a game and, and cheer for the home team. Nice. So speaking of sports team, who's your favorite Houston sports team? Astros. Okay. Um, out of the following Houston relics that no longer exist, which one would you bring back and why? I'm going to read you a list. So we've got Astroworld, the Astrodome, Magic Island, Marvin Zindler, or Fitzgerald's? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to go with Astrodome. Yeah? Yep. You know, I had a like I I really wish that they would turn that building into some really cool kind of indoor outdoor big concert venue because yeah. I don't think it's fair to make Houstonians be driving to Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion. I agree. For our safety and for convenience, like just just from a safety perspective. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't understand I don't that. See how we've missed the boat on this so many times. I don't right. know. I mean, you could kind of keep like maybe the dome um, like skeleton and ha you know, it's already a bowl. I, I just, why do we not have like a premier big concert venue right. in Metro Houston? Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good answer. Well, Grant, this has been a ton of fun. Um, hopefully you had a good time. I had a great time. I loved uh, talking to you and getting to know um, kind of the business side of, of Pinkerton's. Um, we appreciate you uh, getting involved with us for Houston rallies. Hopefully that um, helped uh, a little bit during the, the coronavirus shutdowns. Absolutely. Um, and we just, we wish you the best of luck um, in opening in San Antonio and, and, and for the rest of the year. And we hope things uh, kind of turn back around um, in this kind of hopefully post pandemic world. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Are you a local small business owner looking for some help connecting with potential customers? Is there a specific topic you'd love to hear more about? Visit our website at HoustonRallies.com and click Join the Movement. Fill out the form. We'd love to hear from you. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are strong. We are resilient. We are Houston.